today, as I mentioned, we are doing Q&R. And so this is something that we like to do on a regular basis, is to be able to take some time uh, to respond to your questions. And that's very intentional language, not Q&A, because we're not pretending that we've got all of the answers or that we're experts, um, but to be able to respond to some of the questions that you've sent in over the last little while. So these are all questions that you have been wrestling with, which we're really, really grateful for. And part of why we do this is because we want to model that it's important for us as a healthy spiritual family uh, to be a safe place for questions. Uh, communities that shut down question asking and say, no, you're not allowed to ask about that, generally go sideways and often very fast. Uh, and we know that in a healthy family, you've got the ability to say, why is it that we do things this way? How come things are like this? Why is this important to us? Uh, and we want to really be able to model that. But we also recognise that if we are following Jesus authentically and if we are wrestling with Scripture and what Jesus' teaching is and what Jesus' kingdom values are, and then we're in any way engaging in the world, then there should be a whole bunch of questions that come up about how does this work and how do I prioritise this and what about this and that? And so if we're exploring what it means to follow Jesus authentically, then there should be lots of questions that are coming up for us. So we're going to take some time uh, to respond today. If you are one of the people who's asked one of these questions and we don't dig into it enough, feel free to come and chat with us. We would love to talk with you more about it and to explore it further. And recognise that often when questions are being asked or responded to, it's a great time for you to think of other questions. And so if you have other questions that you think of during this time, my number's going to be up on the screen the whole way through. And so you can feel free to text at any point any other questions and I will look to try and address them in future weeks. So I am very excited to have Maddie and Renee joining us for our panel today. So let's, yes. Give them a hand. Welcome, welcome. Great to have you joining us. Thank you for your courage to come and share some of your thoughts around some of these questions. There you go. Uh, so Maddie is actually going to respond to the first question that we've got, which is, there's so much to do in terms of service. How do I decide which is the most important thing to do? All right. Yep, you're good. Excellent. Um, yeah, so I will start by saying there was a list of questions and this one immediately I was like, do you know what? I feel like this one, this one I feel like I have a response that might be helpful. Um, later there's some slightly more challenging questions, but <laughs> <laughs> this is one that I'm happy to start with. So um, firstly, I just want to say that I think it's important that we live a life of service um, that stands, uh, sets us apart from the world. So serving God with our life in worship of him is the priority. Um, I think sometimes we can get lost in lots of other things, but that's a way of centering ourselves. Uh, loving others is a command as well. Loving them through prayer and encouragement, counsel, support is all um, serving God by loving other people. Um, and when it's a natural part of our life, it's not always going, going to be rostered service. Um, but I know for a Sunday, and I'm guessing maybe with this question that it's um, looking more at a structured, rostered kind of way. So let's look at how we can prioritise that in a church context. Um, as we read in 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible says that every part of the body of Christ, so what we here at Richmond call our church family, our church community, has a role that is just as important as each other. So it's not about how can I serve in the most important role, how do I serve um, in a role that's going to get me more recognition, how do I get a better, you know, um, 
better output for my service. They're all um, equal value in how we serve in a family. Um, of course, some of our roles here at Richmond are going to be paid staff members. So thankfully we have Nate after a little season without a pastor and we want to pay him for what he does. Um, and we have Jemima on board as well and now we've got Sarah and they all have really important roles but they also volunteer in different ways in our church family as service um, as well. So we want to steward our money um, by employing people for specific things. But then Nate doesn't invoice us when he's playing guitar, you know, practising for a Sunday and, um, you know, serving out of a volunteer heart is also important. Um, I believe that we have giftings that are unique to us. So each role is, um, is equal in terms of service, but there are things that you will resonate with more that God has put a gifting on you. Um, and when we look at it sometimes... There may be a gifting and it's still a little bit of a stretch. So um, roles that are good for us are not always ultra comfortable, I guess. Um, sitting up here for all of us this morning, <laughs> maybe less so for Nate, dobbing him in. But, you know, I know for Renee and I, it's a bit of a stretch. Um, but it's something that as a different act of service is um, something that's good for us to, um, to trust God that he's put us here for a reason this morning. Um, we have the Holy Spirit that can guide us in wisdom in how to serve. So I guess this morning I just want to look a little bit more at um, how we balance the serving priorities. Um, so I'm in a bit of a different season of my life. I'm a yes person. I'm a people pleaser. Um, I have a toddler and working through that shift has been different and challenging. But I think really, really important because it's made me had to rely a lot more on the Holy Spirit to say, yep, this is healthy for now. No, this is maybe, you know, burning out a little bit. Um, and so wrestling with that, I think, is an important part of our life. Um, you know, there are times where you feel a little bit more underwater than you just feel a little bit stretched. And I think there's a wisdom in trying to recognise that and talk that through with the Holy Spirit as well. Um, so I believe that um, as a response, not an answer, but... Um, I believe that service, while it has a cost, should never be in place of our well-being in a church family. So um, I guess what I mean by that is the way that we serve should glorify God and glorify the kingdom and church family, but it shouldn't be at the point where it comes at a cost of our well-being because that's more damaging than it is beneficial. Um, at Richmond, our focus is always going to be on family um, it's always going to be on, you know, yes, we have to have some programs, we have to have rosters because that's what makes a Sunday run to the point that it's safe, that people can, um, you know, engage fully. We have people volunteered for welcome because that's really important. We have people volunteering for kids because we want a safe program. Um, but it's not about filling a roster for the sake of it. And I know there are times where we've cut certain things because we haven't had the people and that's more important than, you know, pushing someone into something that they're not able to do. Um, the other thing is some of you uh, maybe have multiple giftings. We all probably do. Um, sometimes we're not quite sure in a church exactly where to step in, exactly, I guess, how to prioritise that. Um, and to that degree, I guess if there's rosters for those things and, and we're saying, look, you know, we're a bit low on kids volunteers, if anyone wants to do that, you know, and then you've got a full team of something else, maybe consider 
doing a little bit extra in the area that's lower. Um, I'm not musical. Nobody wants to see me up here singing. I don't have to make that decision whether I'm on a worship team. So there are times where I've said, look, I'm really happy to do this roster kind of roughly this often, something else more often because maybe it's a little bit more toddler-friendly for me or things like that. So I think it's just... um, it's a balance and it will change. I guess your priorities and the way that you serve, it's okay that that changes in a season. Um, my boss always says, um, he is my friend as well, I have to say, because he was <laughs> offended when I said my boss. Um, he says something at work and he says, if you, have the, if you have the vision, you get the mission. So it's a kind of dangerous workplace to go, oh, I've just noticed or I'm just wondering. And unfortunately, that is most of what I say around work and um, he's very encouraging and says, yep, if you've got the heart for that, you know, we give you full permission for that. And I think in a church family as well, there might be um, maybe even a gap that you're seeing, something where you think, yep, you know, um, I've just noticed, you know, come and chat with us about it. We um, we love it when people have a heart for serving that might look a little bit different. Um, you know, today's gathering is a really good example of that. Um And my encouragement is to listen to what could be the loud voice of God or the really quiet voice that's just sort of talking to you about where you're at at the moment. You know, um, people go through seasons of rest where they've felt um, like they've given a lot of themselves and, you know, we don't want that to be damaging either. So I think if you've been on pause, then um, there's a prayer in that of sort of how do I step into something again or how do I step into something for the first time how do I put myself on a roster without the fear of then being rostered on every week for the next five years of your life um it's not a contract you know it's it's a family conversation um yeah and I guess I just want to be honest enough to say that if you're feeling um like there's been too much pressure or anything like that again just have open family conversations about that um There's a part of me that goes, look, you're a member of the CLT and some rosters are maybe not quite full. You know, don't tell everyone to to bail out. Um, But I want you to hear my heart in that, in that the Holy Spirit will be, I'm sure, speaking to you about what what your next season of service can look like. And it might be, yeah, jumping in a little bit more and it might be stepping back a little bit more. And there is no judgment from us um, either way in that. Um, We are individuals making up one body and one family um, as a church and so we need to look after each other as well. So I do just encourage you if you want to talk through um, what your service might look like, if if you're not sure, you know, even coming and just watching how something works, um, if you're not sure whether the load is too heavy, you know, talk to us about whether you can come and sit in on something and shadow someone and... Um, there's a way that everyone can serve in a church family and it may be a roster, it may just be looking out for people, um, but we just want everyone to be involved because that is family. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Oh, look, you got some applause. So, Renee, you're going to take the next one. Next one. (laughs) It's coming. There we go. Uh, How do you think technology is shaping our relationships with God and with others? Thank you. Um, So full disclosure, we got the list of questions come through and I sort of had a look and like, man, this this community is asking deep, (laughs) hard questions. So 
did not make it easy for us. Um, but I grabbed this one. I thought, oh, that, you know, that's really, that interests me. And I started thinking about it. And then at some point when I was thinking about it, I realised I had written this question. So it's a <laughs> full disclosure, I asked it. I was actually hoping someone else would answer it or respond to it, but I'm going to do it. So it's all right. Um, anyway, I think um, technology can serve us really well. I think we know that. I think we've seen that um, particularly through COVID. We have seen how um, well technology can serve us in staying connected to each other, um, being able to, at a moment's notice, get in touch with someone, um, ask someone for prayer, follow someone up. Um, how are you going? How are you coping with what's happening? Um, there are so many ways that it has been helpful for us. Being able to participate on Zoom um, when you can't be here, being able to listen afterwards to the podcast, but also to listen to podcasts from all around the world. Um, we get to, you know, get all this, this information um, to be fed so well by people from all around the world. Um, I love that I can use my device to play worship music in the car and at home and I can worship at the top of my voice um, to songs that we have sung here on Sunday. Um, I love that there are devotionals and there's prayer apps and there are so many things that our devices um, can help us in connecting with God and connecting with each other. Um, one thing that I, I didn't realise before Nate started was that the Bible app can do that sermon notes thing. I didn't, I didn't know it could do that. So I love now that I can sit here and I can make notes on a Sunday. I can email them to myself and then during the week I can pull them back out. Um, I didn't know it could do that. So I was really excited that it can do that. And there's just all these ways that um, we can grow in our relationship with God through the use of technology. Um, but, and I think you all knew there was going to be a but, um, Technology is a, a great servant, um, but there's no doubt that technology uh, can can own us, um, and it can be a absolutely relentless master. Um, there is no end to what we could be doing on our devices. Um, there's no end to, I guess, there's so much usefulness, but there's also um, so many, so much rubbish. <laughs> There's so many things we could be doing and so much time we could be using up um, on our devices. Um, I found John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, really helpful in this because he, he has done a whole lot of research about um, the use of technology and the use of smartphones and what that has done to our brains and our relationships. Um, he talks about how the average iPhone user touches their phone more than 2,600 times a day. He talks about um, even just, there was a report that uh, they discovered, like even just having your phone in the room with you, even if it's turned off, can um, interrupt your ability to problem solve, can um, ma make you less able to remember things. Um, so just even having it there has that impact on us. And in that book, he talks about um, how it's like if you, if you are dependent on your smartphone, it's like there's this um, silent voice ca calling your name to your brain constantly. And if anyone's ever had a child trying to get your attention when you're trying to talk to someone else, like mummy, mummy, <laughs> mummy, mummy, you know like how hard it is to focus on the person in front of you. 
So if we have these these phones calling our our name, Renee, 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 like, um, it's no wonder that it it can be hard to be fully present with the people in front of us. And then um, I know that there are times that I feel really frustrated because I think I don't I don't have time to pray, I don't have time to read my Bible. Um, but do we actually know how much time we are spending on our devices? Do we, do we even know? Do we even know, you know, that time just disappears? I find, I think, oh, I'm just going to send that person one message or I'm just going to check that one thing um, that I need to check on. And before I know it, the minutes have gone by. Like, I, I don't even know how much time I actually spend on my devices. So to be saying I don't have time to spend um, to pray or to read my Bible... Um, I think it, it's really important to be able to check in on on our use of technology. Um, as parents, it's a bit of a minefield. Uh, there's, you know, social media, bullying, um, how much time. There's, there's so many issues to work through. Um, and I think it is really important that we put those boundaries in place ourselves and that we are modelling to our kids, um, yeah, I mean, we're, Mark and I are kind of at the, the start of all of this stuff, so people with older kids, we need some help. <laughs> um, I think anyway, I, just talking about making sure that they're, they're not mastering us and those boundaries, um, just a few ideas, Something, one thing is like making sure our devices have a different bedtime from us. So, like, putting them to bed, tucking them in, <laughs> and then going and doing something else, you know, spending time with God, spending time with um, the people that we love. Just thinking about how we're, how we're using it. Are we using it purposefully? Is there a reason I'm on my phone right now? Or am I just mindlessly scrolling? Um, and asking in that, what is the need that I'm trying to meet right now in this scrolling? Like, am I, am I bored? Am I tired? Um, am I wanting to connect with someone? And is there a better way to meet that need? And then I also um, wonder what it would do to take time off from devices on a regular basis. And some people do do a 24-hour Sabbath from technology. Um, but even just taking, you know, a day off now and then and observing what, how that, what happens, what that does, I don't know, it, it could be an interesting experiment um, but I think it's really important to keep checking in on this and maybe talking in our gospel groups, but also just asking ourselves maybe each week, this week, has technology improved my relationship with others and with God um, or has it detracted from it? It's great. Couldn't have imagined a better response to your own question. So. <laughs> well done. That was very, very good. Thank you. All right, next question. Is God non-binary? I told you some of these questions are a little more challenging. <laughs> uh, why do we refer to God as he? Is it still relevant to refer to him as he, or should we say they? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> the common pronoun uh, that is used for God throughout the Bible is he. So throughout Scripture, that's how we often see God referred to, is as he. But generally, it is with a capital H, which is a reminder that that's not because God is male. That's just because that is the way that God is often referred to. Now, we do have multiple references of, God, of Jesus talking about our Father, and particularly Jesus talking about God as his Father which again kind of reinforces the notion that God has some elements of maleness and Paul frequently speaks of God as uh, our father in his letters that he writes as well. 
So that's where the context comes from in terms of why it is that God is so often referred to as he. However, we don't believe that God is male or female. Uh, We would say God is neither and God is both, which is where things get a little bit complicated. Um, Genesis 1.27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So it's interesting there that the pronoun is he, God, he created them, but God created us in his image. So whether we're male or female, we are image bearers of God, which reminds us again that God is not male or female. So we come back to this question, is God non-binary? And uh, I will just recognise that that phrase, non-binary, can be very loaded for some of us, so just name that uh, and do want to be a little bit careful about how I respond, but... From the conversations that I've had with people who are wrestling with questions around gender or the conversations I've had with people who are close to people who are wrestling with questions around gender, uh, frequently a part of that wrestling is because of stereotypes. So associations with masculinity or associations with femininity. Um, do you want to say this is a very different conversation for people who are wrestling with uh, transitioning from one gender to another? That is a different uh, conversation than what I'm going to respond to here. Because for people who are particularly advocating for or exploring what it means to be non-binary and therefore to use they as their pronoun rather than he or she, uh, frequently, yes, what I have seen, my observation would be, it's because of the way that they've been treated or because of bias or judgment or even discrimination that they've experienced as someone who is male or as someone who is female. It's obviously much more complex than that, and we're not going to spend all morning digging into it, but I think that simple uh, overview helps us to do a couple of things. First of all, it's really important for us to not pass judgment on anybody who's processing anything around these questions. We need to sit with people and to be able to hear their stories and what it is that they're journeying through and the questions that they're wrestling with. That is absolutely crucial, not just on this. I would say that's a good guideline for everything. But I do think that there is some connection in terms of the projections that people then have onto God, and particularly the gender of God, especially for people who have had difficult interactions with people uh, who may be male. So particularly when we talk about God as our father, for people who've had a very toxic or abusive relationship with their father we can understand why it is very, very hard for them to then think about God as father because they're obviously projecting a whole bunch of stuff that's there from their own experience. And we have to be honest and recognise that sadly the church has a very long track record of male dominance that has looked very unhealthy in lots and lots of different ways uh, that has then come out as spiritual abuse and other types of abuse where lots of people have walked away from the church and or walked away from God because of their experiences of what masculinity looks like and to say, well, if God's like that, I don't want to have anything to do with God. And I have to be honest and say I don't blame them. So the question is, do we flip that and then say, well, we're going to stop calling God he and stop calling God father and we'll call God she and call God mother instead? And there are some segments of the church that have done that and that do that. And so their prayers are are directed towards God as female. I think that that raises other complications that doesn't necessarily solve any of the problem. And so that's where this question comes from to say, well, do we do away with he or she and start to call God they? What's fascinating is that the Church of England right now is having this conversation in England. So they've got a team of people who are digging into whether they will uh, look at changing some of the pronouns in some of their prayers and some of their liturgies to they 
so that it can be more accessible for more people. Some of us might see that as political correctness gone mad or wokeness at its extreme, um, but again, it would encourage us to slow down and to say, are we willing to sit with people and to wrestle with the questions that people are wrestling with about why these things matter? Um, because any barriers that stop people engaging with God are things that we need to explore with people so that they can discover Jesus and what he's all about. It is very important to say that no matter what we end up calling God, there are limitations on it. And in some ways, all of the references that we have to God are metaphorical. And so we often talk about God as our shepherd. That's an image that is weaved throughout the Bible. That's not because we believe God is a shepherd. We believe God is like a shepherd. And the characteristics of a shepherd are ways that we can understand what God is like, that God cares for his flock. God's flock, <laughs> that God cares for, God protects the flock, um, God provides for the flock. And so we wouldn't say, oh, that means that God is a shepherd. We say God is like a shepherd. And so we can understand that that's the same in terms of us saying God is like a father. God is the best version of what a father should be, but God is not a father and that's it. God is like a mother, the best version of what a mother should be, but God is not just a mother. They're all metaphors that are all inadequate, but it does help us to recognise that the conversation is much broader than just saying that God is a male. What I do think is important to say is that Jesus consistently references our relationship with God in very intimate ways. And so part of where I would get concerned about saying, do we go down the road of using they, is that if that makes God more generic, I think we have missed something that Jesus would say is really important. Because the phrase that Jesus uses, Abba, and that Paul uses, Abba, is an extremely intimate phrase that's probably more accurately translated as Papa or as Dada. And so there is this sense of intimacy that we're supposed to have in our relational connection with God. And so anything where we would turn God into some kind of spiritual generic entity, I think, is going away from what Jesus' best is. So that's a few responses. Happy to chat that one through further if you'd like to talk about it some more. All right, next question. Another nice, easy one. <laughs> in Revelation, it says that we'll be judged on what we've done when we die, but I thought it wasn't the case anymore because Jesus died. So again, I do want to just mention that when we do Q&R panels, the panel gets to choose the questions that they respond to. So Maddie picked this question <laughs> to respond to, so away you go. <laughs> yeah, it was a slightly difficult list, um, but no, that's fine. Um, this has been probably another good stretch for me this week. So... Um, again, in full disclosure, um, when I have read through my Bible plans over the years or I've started at the beginning and gone through, um, I have truthfully, and this may be con- um, slightly uh, contentious, but I have truthfully devoured Numbers and Leviticus with more excitement than I have <laughs> approached Revelation. Um, because I think there's something about safety in that real Old Testament where you're like, yeah, that was a long time ago. It's interesting history, but it's... Um, Revelation seemed a little bit terrifying to me and I think there's something maybe growing up in a very penty um, background that it, the fire and brimstone kind of imagery was confronting as a young person. Um, but um, I had a really big chat with Nate about it this week because this is a response, not an answer. And Revelation itself is um, really complex. So amongst theologians... Um, it's contested uh, when it refers to how metaphorical it is. Um, is there anything literal, you know, in how we're reading it? And so 
there are people that have spent many, many, many years um, looking into Revelation and even for them they might disagree on a few key points about it. Um, so I'm approaching this, um, I think the question is a really, really good one to ask because I'm hoping that in my response today it just points more towards um, the grace of God. Um, so, yeah, let me talk you through some of that. Um, so there's a concept in Revelation of um, record books and the book of life. So looking at the record books, um, I'm not sure if Revelation yep. 20 will come up. Yep. Okay, so um, in Revelation 20, uh, 11 to 15, it says, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the, book, um, all, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So not the book of life, some other books. Um, the sea gave up its dead and the death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Light chit-chat for a Sunday morning, I know. <laughs> um, and look, it's confronting to read um, because I think... I'll keep going and then, sorry, I get distracted. But um, it's heavy stuff, you know, and I love that as a family we can unpack that. So thank you for letting us sit up here to do that. Um, so there are the record books um, in this time of judgment. And I think I was a little bit confronted because those record books are not just for the criminals. They're not just for the worst person in your head you can think of, for the person that cut you off in traffic this morning. Um, you know, there are record books of all of us. Every person that has been been dead um, is going to have these records. But um, there is a beauty in that because everything is recorded. So there's um, every great thing that we have done in God's name, every um, tear that we've cried, you know, in moments of grief is recorded and God knows it so intimately that um, the challenge for us as humans is there's kind of no escape from everything we've ever done and that is terrifying but then we know the full story um, about the grace and believing in Jesus Christ. So along with the record books, there's also this book of life. So it does say about the white throne of judgment that um, for anyone who has rejected his offer of salvation, they fa face this white throne of judgment and it is with really dire consequences. It's the unbeliever's last stop before an eternity of exile from God's presence. So whether that's a literal lake of fire whether it's just lack of the presence of God, which is the worst thing I can ever imagine. Um, so it says that's for people whose name isn't in the book of life, so people who haven't chosen to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. The good news for us... The good news for us is that the book of life is mentioned throughout Scripture, and again, it's mentioned in this verse... Um, and we know that our names, so Irene, it's actually interesting about you writing your name down um, when you gave your life to Jesus because the book of life, we know um, our names are inscribed in that when we um, declare Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. We know that becoming a follower of Christ doesn't make us perfect or stop us sinning. So it doesn't get us out of the record books, but there's a grace that comes um, that is far greater. So 
where we fail at perfection, Jesus' death on our behalf comes into the most paramount of importance because we know that having our record read to us doesn't condemn us but allows us to finally come to a full comprehension of his extravagant grace. Because rather than being thrown into a lake of fire or being excluded from God's presence, um, we're going to have our name in the book of life and we have eternity with him. I think that there's something in this as well, and I'm going off note, sorry, that there's something in this that really stirred in me this week because um, there's another concept that having our record read to us is about how we're given rewards in heaven as well. Um, But I think it really shows to me how much our faith and the life that we live is important for people around us because I don't want the people that I love to be thrown into a lake of fire, to be excluded from God's presence. So it's kind of there is an account of how much have we lived a life that speaks of Jesus to others as well. And I think Revelation um, is a really good reminder that there are um, eternal consequences for all of us and that we're here because we believe in Jesus and we have our name in the book of life, but it's also our opportunity to share that with other people. Um, So I guess that's just been on my heart this week, that whether you're an evangelist um, in a full sense of the word or whether you um, are just quietly having conversations with people about faith where you can, you know, that that all really matters. It has eternal consequences. Um, so Charles Stanley um, has a doctorate. He's sort of looked into this a lot. And um, I was just taken by a quote that he said, Christ's judgment is not a punishment. It is a reminder that we are pardoned. At last we will fully realise the depth and breadth of his grace. Believers need not cower or hang their heads during the judgment, nor are we to repent. The time for that is past. We will stand before the Lord, clothed in Christ's righteousness and forgiven of every single sin. And we will at last comprehend how great the love of our God is for us. And so that's what I want you to sit in this morning, that whilst there's judgment and there's record, um, it's actually that God knows our heart, he knows our faith, and that our name can't be taken out of the book of life because of any mistake that we made. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us. So, um, yeah, that's my response this morning. That's good. And again, if you want to dig into it further, come and chat. All right, next question. (laughs) Uh, Next one. Yep, that's what we just looked at. All right, Renee. Why pray if God can't do anything? Or if God can do stuff, then why doesn't he do something? (laughs) <laughs> well, this um, this one's easy <laughs> and, until you've lived for five minutes and then it gets a bit more complicated. Anyway, I, th- I think this is a question that we all ask at some point in our lives and um, sometimes, lots and lots of times. Um, I would say, first of all, that, that prayer as we know, is is more about more than about just getting stuff from God. God wants to spend time with us because he loves us. Um, I, I would hate it if Mark or someone else that I loved only wanted to talk to me when they wanted something. Um, it is about connecting with God. But um, I think this question, you know, we, we are invited to ask God for what we need. He wants us to. Um, when Jesus was teaching people how to pray, it was give us today our daily bread. You know, he wants us to come to him with our needs, um, big and small, and he wants us to come to him with the needs of other people 
uh, we know and other people around the world that we know are suffering. And there are so many examples of God responding to the prayers of his people, um, sometimes even before we've prayed them. But the Old Testament talks again and again about God's people crying out to him and him responding and him rescuing and him healing. Um, He is a God who responds, who hears our prayers and responds. And we also have um, the example of Jesus. You know, he showed us that, that God in flesh is responsive to our cries for help. So many people came to Jesus or, you know, called out to him as he was walking past and um, they were calling out to him, we need help, we need help. And he was responsive, he met their needs. And God still answers the prayers of his people in really miraculous ways. And I know that we would have so many stories here in this room of God answering our prayers. Um, He can do stuff and he does. But I know that this question that we all ask at some point why doesn't God do something about a situation, usually comes from a place of deep pain. It usually comes from um, a place where we're experiencing something that we know this is not right and God, can will you help us? And this is also seen in the Bible. You know, right in the middle of the Bible, we, we have the Psalms. We've got the Psalms of Lament um, where people are calling out to God to turn his ear towards us. Hear us, God. Hear my prayer. Um, We believe that God is all-powerful, so why doesn't he seem to intervene sometimes when we pray for good stuff? Well, there is an element of mystery here. There's no doubt. I just just don't know why some prayers are answered um, immediately and miraculously and um, why they're not sometimes. Um, And when I was thinking about this question, I... um, even on the driving on the way here, I was thinking about um, our youngest child, Emmy, her birth. The whole way through her pregnancy, my pregnancy with her, um, I had a friend who had had a beautiful birth. Everything had gone so smoothly and it was like, she said it wasn't even really pain. It was just like, you know, it's just like when you work out at the gym and your muscles hurt. Like it just, and it was so calm and so beautiful. Um, and I was like, oh, I want that. Um, I've done this twice already. I know how this goes. I want that birth. And so I prayed all through my pregnancy (laughs) for a beautiful, calm, amazing birth. And I did not get that. Um, It was hard. It was the hardest of our three kids. That prayer was not answered with a miraculous and resounding yes. Um, And I felt pretty, for 24 hours after, I was really quite disillusioned. And a friend of mine had a child on the same day and, again, had a really beautiful, straightforward birth. So I was like, what was this about? Because I prayed. Um, But as I was thinking back throughout the labour and the birth, I had such a strong sense of God's presence with me. Like, it was undeniable God was there in that room. Um, so, yeah, I think something that does bring me comfort, when those prayers don't seem to be answered, God is still compassionate. He's there with us through that pain. And, um, yeah, I kind of prefer that, you know. I'd rather have God there with me, you know. Um, we can absolutely trust that God is with us in our pain. He's not the cause of our suffering. 
But he is compassionate and he is with us. He, we can know that he hears and he loves our faithful prayers. He loves us when we, when we come to him with what we need. We can also trust, I think, that God sees the big picture. We see the here and now. God sees our whole lives and all of eternity. And I, um, I know that he knows what's best. There have been times I've prayed for things. And um, to be able to trust that he knows, he knows what is going to happen in the rest of our lives. He knows every person on this planet. And he has the perspective of all of eternity. He has that perspective that we don't have. Sometimes it's not until years later that we understand why God didn't answer that particular prayer in the way we'd hoped. And I know that because we live in the now and not yet, there, there are prayers that we won't understand in this life why it didn't happen the way we were asking God for it to happen. But we do have the hope of eternity. And we know that um, because of Jesus, God makes all these things right. All these things. We believe that ultimately our prayers for things to be made right are heard and they will be answered, all of them, in time. So we keep praying and trusting. Um, I'm reading this little book at the moment about prayer, praying like monks, living like fools. Um, it's, it's good so far. But I've came across this little quote. I just wanted to read it. Here's the best part of the whole story, the bit that really blows my mind. God doesn't need intercessors managing his creation. He's not overwhelmed by all the responsibility of overseeing the world. He's all-knowing, all-powerful and completely outside of time. He's got this. God doesn't need intercessors. God chooses intercessors. We dream of a God who brings heaven to earth. God dreams of praying people to share heaven with. And that's what I want to be. That's good. Thank you. All right, last question that we're going to respond to. Uh, what are your thoughts about using restorative practices from psychology and scientific research to help us connect with God? So what do we mean by restorative practices from psychology and scientific research? There's been lots and lots of research that's been done uh, to help us understand what makes us tick, the reasons that we respond to the things uh, that we do in the way that we do, and what can bring healing and wholeness into our lives. So some examples of that are, if you have been to see a psychologist or a counsellor at any point in the last few years, you have probably been encouraged to practice mindfulness or breathing techniques because there is so much research that shows us that when we slow down and focus on our breathing and bring ourselves into the present moment, there are a whole bunch of things that actually happen in terms of the chemicals that are racing around in our bodies and the way that our brain responds. So lots of research has been done on things like neural pathways. So the idea that in our brains, we literally have these tracks that get laid down over time, that the more that we do things, uh, the more we have pathways that are laid down. And so that's why it's really hard for us to create new habits or to stop old habits, because we have these really long pathways that have been laid down over time, and trying to create new ones takes time. Exercise matters, not just because it makes us healthy, but because it releases what I call feel-good juices. So endorphins and serotonin get released into our body, and so we feel better after we've exercised. There's scientific research that explains why. The impact of spending time in green spaces. So there's something that actually happens to us. Research has been done that shows when you spend time in green nature, something actually happens to you. The Japanese have a phrase called forest bathing which they have started to adopt because they know what a difference that can make. 
It's also helpful for us to recognise that this helps us understand what's not good for us too. So Renee talked earlier about phone usage. So there's a lot of research being done about the usage of our phones and what that does to us chemically as well and how our brains respond. So there's two ways of looking at that. We can either say all of this research proves that God doesn't exist because it's just the wiring that we've got, or we can look at it and say... It actually shows that God knew exactly what God was doing when he created us the way that we're created. And so some segments of the church throughout history have resisted or even completely rejected scientific research uh, out of fear of this is going to make people reject God. So one very famous example is, of course, Copernicus and Galileo, who had the nerve to suggest that maybe the earth revolves around the sun, not the other way around. And so they were very harshly treated by the church because people were like, oh, no, we can't go that way. That will mean that people will stop believing in God. There's this great fear that if people see how the world works or how our bodies work or our minds work, they'll then turn their backs on God and say, well, clearly God doesn't exist. Alternatively, and this is where I'd sit, it strengthens our faith and trust in God because we can see how intricately and incredibly we've been made that our bodies are wired the way that they are. It's also good for us to be challenged about how things that have happened for hundreds or thousands of years, so practices that some cultures have, uh, we're starting to understand why those things make such a difference. So again, spending time in nature is a good example of that. So the question is, do we embrace these things and allow our spirituality to connect with them, or do we reject them and say, no, that's secular, and so it doesn't match up? And our big struggle with this is because, for those of us who've grown up in the Western world, uh, we are very much uh, wired to think that mind, body, and spirit are all separate. And so mind is the mind, the body is the body, and the spirit is the spirit. Other cultures, Hebrew culture in particular, but lots of other cultures around the world, believe that all of those impact each other. And so what happens in your mind impacts your body, what happens in your body impacts your spirit, and all of it's connected. And so one of our challenges with this is to let go of that Western thinking that says, no, no, these are all separate things, but to see that there is the opportunity for them to all work together. We also recognise that God works in partnership with us, not in spite of us. We see that throughout Scripture. And so I uh, have often been challenged that is it any less miraculous when God helps us to understand how our bodies are wired and then also gives us the technology and the know-how to treat that and to bring healing to that through an operation, for example, or through a treatment that someone goes through that then brings healing. Is that really that much less miraculous than God just healing someone on the spot? I still see it as God's healing. It's just God's equipped us and partnered with us to be able to bring that into our lives. And so why would it be any different with the way that our minds work as we think about these things? So some people do see these practices as non-spiritual or as secular, and a lot of the reason for that is because they're often, when they do come from secular perspective, perceived as things that are just empty, and so they're empty practices that just hopefully will work. We would say, as we did last week, that practices that we use help us to intentionally tune in to the reality that God is with us. So we don't do these practices for no reason. We do them because we recognise they can have an impact on us but God's partnering with us as we participate in that. So I'll press pause there on that one. So that's the end of our questions that we're going to respond to today. Uh, again, if you want to chat through any more of them, please do. That's totally fine. Um, and as I said, if you've got any other questions, feel free to send them through at any point. 
But we want to actually take this last question, and that is what we're going to spend some time doing now, is exploring exactly that. And not just to respond to it intellectually, but to respond to it bodily. And so set up around the building, we have a whole bunch of different spaces. So out in the cafe space, we have a meditation and focus area. So there are a whole bunch of meditation and breathing practices that you can use that's out there. So that's going to be a quiet space. In here, there is an opportunity to have some discussions so recognising that having conversations about things that matters is healing and restorative for us. So there are some conversation starters that will be here. And then you can see up on the walls that there are a whole bunch of quotes and different things to reflect on. There's also some hands-on activities, so you can explore those. Uh, out in the hall, we have an art space set up. So there is paint and clay and a whole bunch of things. So that's the, as we've been saying over the last few weeks, don't wear your best clothes. You can get messy out there. It's totally fine. In the kitchen, there's a cooking space set up. So recognising that cooking is very healing and restorative for us as we work together and make something. Uh, and the good news is what gets made out there is what we're going to have available to eat later. So that's even more awesome as well. Very restorative. And then uh, also the garden space. So the raised veggie gardens and the space out the side there. There's opportunities to get your hands dirty. Uh, we know how healing it is to get our hands in the soil and uh, to work in nature. And so... There are five spaces set up, and you can feel free to go and check them all out and then decide where you want to spend time. You can spend time just in one of them or in a number of them if you want to. Uh, what we do ask is that that space out there does stay as a quiet meditative space, so please be conscious of that. Uh, we are going to fire the coffee machine up in a while, so that will happen, but just not yet. So that's a quiet space, but feel free to uh, head out wherever else. And then, um, as I said, the food is going to be available to eat in the hall in a little while. Um, and I do want to recognise that for some of us, this might all be a bit of a stretch, so that's okay. Just try something new. You'll be all right. It will finish, so <laughs> just try some things, uh, and I do want to encourage you to actively participate in it, not stand back and watch or stand back and have conversations, but actually participate. So there are instructions set up everywhere, and most of it should be fairly self-explanatory, but if you've got any questions, come and see me. Uh, parents, we would love you to go and grab your kids from Kids Church and to sign them out. And then we want you to do this with your kids and spend some time at the different stations with them, hanging out with them and exploring some of these things together. Um, there will be some support at the different places if you need it uh, from some of our kids leaders, but we'd love you to engage with that. But again, please remember that's supposed to be a quiet, reflective space out there. So if you can be helpful with that, that would be really, really great. So we're going to do this probably for the next 20 minutes or so until about half past 11. Uh, so take some time, explore wherever. And as you do, I want to encourage you to intentionally be tuning into two things. First of all, is this giving me an opportunity to connect with God intentionally? And secondly, how is this bringing healing or restoration to me? So in what ways is this helping me to come alive or to feel the way that I'm not supposed to feel? So the time is yours. Go and spend some time, and uh, as I said, about half past 11, we'll fire the coffee machine up and have some conversations, and you can continue to hang around and explore those. Thank you to you two for responding to the questions that you did. Yes. Go and do some exploring.